Hi everyone, and welcome to Oscar Wilde, a podcast about film, always counting down to next year's Oscars. I'm Sophia Simonello. And I'm Nick Burkraut. And today we have a fun episode planned. We are going to be talking about the movie that I think everyone is talking about right now, Jordan Peele's third feature, Nope. I have so much to say about this movie. I am so excited to talk about it. Before we get into that movie, though, we will go back in time a little bit and talk briefly about his first two features, Get Out and Us, and how they did at the Oscars. Or didn't do, which is the problem. Yes, I'm excited to talk about Jordan Peele's three movies. I have been mulling over Nope ever since I saw it, and I like can't stop thinking about all of its components, and mm-hmm. they're starting to meld together finally. It's a movie that really is enhanced by just thinking about it and talking about it and having those conversations and what it's all about. I mean, the Hollywood of it is so fun. And I think that's why Jordan Peele has been an amazing director that kind of came out of nowhere. We knew him as a stand-up comedian. And when he became this horror director, this genre-defying director, I loved it. I'm always waiting for what he's going to come up with next. And I think after this, that's even more apparent because I'm like, oh, my God, what is what's coming? What else could there be? Yeah. And when I think of Jordan Peele, I think what just excites me is how much he loves movies and how much he loves film history. I watched an interview with him recently and the interviewer asked him, if he could take on any IP, what would he do? And he just replied that he's not really interested in IP, Hmm. which was very exciting to me. He feels like he needs to tell these creative, new, inventive stories, but they're not just brand new stories. They're stories that when you watch them, you can feel that he's telling a story that feels perfect for right now, that is seriously questioning our society and interrogating our politics but also that have all of these really cool references to films from the 70s to 80s blockbuster directors to genre. And he just feels like the type of director who is just so well equipped to play in this space. But also, I think it's why he's held to an impossibly high standard. And I think as we talk through his three films that will come out, maybe why, but It really all starts with Get Out. So this 2017 smash hit, which made $255 million on a $4 million budget. Like when you think about that, that is absolutely Mm -hmm. crazy. Um, And it came out in February of 2017. So of course, like when a movie like this comes out, and I know we weren't covering the Oscars in the way that we do now back then, but if a horror movie comes out in February, it's not exactly on your radar to shake up the Oscar race. I mean, I wonder if that coming out so early was just like, let's put it out there. It's that Mm -hmm. post Oscars fair that is just going to excite viewers. And I wonder if he was like surprised by how well it did. I'm sure he was. And for those of you who don't remember or who need a refresher, Get Out is about this guy named Chris, played by Daniel Kaluuya. He and his girlfriend, Rose, played by Allison Williams, they go upstate to visit her parents for the weekend. And at first, Chris sees her family and how just overly accommodating and nice they seem to him as just being nervous. And it's their attempt to deal with their daughter's interracial relationship. But then 
everything goes wild as the weekend unfolds and a series of increasingly disturbing discoveries lead him to a truth that he could never have imagined. But for this movie, the screenplay was definitely the element that was hailed the most. Jordan Peele ended up winning Best Original Screenplay at the Oscars, and this movie was also nominated for Best Picture, Best Director, and Daniel Kaluuya got a Best Actor nomination. So do you remember when you saw Get Out for the first time and what that experience was like? I don't remember the specific experience, but I knew it was something so original and fresh when I had seen it. It's one of those movies you're watching and watching and then something totally unexpected happens and it just becomes this bigger thing. Mm -hmm. It's like the social commentary of everything, breaking it all down. Another thing that Jordan Peele started here was having all of these clues and this mystery and that being a part of the horror genre, but its own thing. And what is so fun about these movies? And then you start to piece them together or on rewatch, you notice them and it helps clarify what he's trying to say. But I think this movie coming out in 2017 was just the most pointed and prescient piece of film that could have come out at that time. And still is very real to this day. Yeah. When I think of this movie, I just think of how original it feels and also how clear and sharp the script is. It's very straightforward. It's under two hours. It moves very quickly. And early 2017, Trump had just been elected. And this movie was made before that moment. But coming out in that time, it it just sort of held this magnifying glass up to the problems that existed in the United States specifically. And I feel like it had this incredible performance from Daniel Kaluuya, who I did not know at the time. Allison Williams was the perfect casting choice to (laughs) play Rose, his girlfriend, who we realize later on is just completely evil and manipulative, but in the beginning is just that classic problematic white woman who is willing to Mm -hmm. like argue back with the police officer and in reality she's horrible but yeah it's just it's also just it's creepy the way that it unfolds you know that something is wrong right away and I remember when I first saw it too it just being this huge phenomenon like everyone had to see it everyone had to go multiple times it was just the thing that everyone was talking about and it's always cool when a horror movie from a new filmmaker is something that's able to do that. Yeah, Allison bringing her history from girls. Mm -hmm. I knew there was something there and I should have latched onto it. We finally get that shot of the Fruit Loops and the glass of milk and how she eats them separately, which is like so iconic. But yeah, from that scene with the cop to her warning Chris about the dad making the Obama for a third term comment Mm -hmm. you have all of these like really cringy lines that fit in the story and then on top of that you have these other black actors who seem very empty-minded they're just kind of there they're floating through this space we have the gardener and the maid and again these little bits along the way like eventually when Chris flashes his phone and Lakeith Stanfield wakes up and he says get out Chris starts to like realize and that's also what I liked about in Nope 
we have this almost quicker realization like when the aliens are in the barn i know we're getting ahead Uh no it's okay i think we can talk about it all at once sort of it's kind of fun to see the overlap between these movies too and what peel is doing but when oj or daniel is in the barn he's like nope nope i'm getting a picture i am you know we are not messing around like that's that and at that point in Get Out, he does, but the family is realizing he's realizing what's going on. And that's when it starts to really turn. We start to understand what this group of really creepy old white people are doing. And we get lines from them. It's like, Black is in. The old woman is asking him about, oh, is it better? All of these just oh, uncomfortable questions. But Again, it all comes together, and I think all of the symbols and bringing the deer back, and it's so satisfying to watch. I agree. You mentioning the other Black actors that are in the movie, Betty Gabriel, who plays Georgina, their housekeeper, I think might give my favorite performance in the movie. She's so unsettling. (laughs) (laughs) And that, I remember when I saw her the first time I saw the movie, I was like, okay, something Mm -hmm. is clearly... Miss, there is something deeper here that is a problem in this family but yeah i think another important thing about get out was that this is also where peel establishes himself as not just your classic horror director he understands that horror usually is a place where you can have more pointed political commentary as opposed to other genres like dramas or romantic comedies, action films, anything. Horror is the place where directors have always been able to make those statements. He also established himself as a filmmaker who wasn't necessarily going to just give us a straightforward story. He was going to really deftly and in a very smart way give us these visual metaphors. Like, I remember when I first... Mm -hmm noticed and get out and when he when chris is pulling the cotton from the chair Mm -hmm. and using that to like make earplugs for himself thinking okay jordan peele isn't just delivering this smart new script he is able to tell his stories in really visually stimulating compelling ways and that i think while it's you know it's an incredibly smart way to make films It unfortunately, I think, sets him up with a lot of people as a filmmaker who, where you have to go in and look for clues to decipher some sort of hidden meaning. And I think that's unfair. (laughs) Like, we should just take in the movie and experience it. But I think he does have that reputation where you go into his films looking for something more. And because of Get Out's performance people hold him, I think, to an impossibly high standard. It seems like he's almost cornering himself into this like art house genre where it's more niche, but I think it's the opposite of that actually because there are lessons to be told that are really profound and there's seven different things happening in one scene Mm -hmm. that you could take from that. But I think that also explains why anybody can see these movies. I don't think they are necessarily art house. What he's sharing is a specific perspective and an important one, but I think one that is for any viewer, for all viewers. Mm -hmm. And that I think transcends into Nope because this is the spectacle. 
And in some ways, it's surface level of what he's saying, but there are also those themes and metaphors that you can search and look for. Mm -hmm. But it's this large, entertaining piece that, again, is fun to revisit. I can't wait to go again, just like Get Out, just like Us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think all three of these films have great rewatchability to them because Mm -hmm. the first experience I had with all three of these... It was very much like, okay, I'm just, I'm taking everything in, being surprised. Like, the element of surprise is such an important piece in horror films, but when Jordan Peele is dealing with so many other themes and visual metaphors, that second viewing is always really rich because you can start to pick up on things earlier, and I agree with you. They are all three great on a second watch. I'll talk about that more when I get to Nope. And something else that I love about Peele is that they call him this horror director, but I think he does such a good job at melding genres. Mm-hmm. Again, with Nope, that I think is done way more so than his first two movies. But I think more than horror, it's psychological. It's mm-hmm. thriller. And that is like really smart in Get Out. I think it's both of those things. But I think with us, it does go more into that horror mm-hmm. realm, more so than his other two. So let's talk about that one now. Description here for those who haven't seen. Husband and wife, Gabe and Adelaide Wilson, take their kids to their beach house expecting to unplug and unwind with friends. But as the night descends, their serenity turns to tension and chaos when some shocking visitors arrive uninvited. It stars Lupita Nyong'o, Winston Duke, Elizabeth Moss, and Tim Heidecker. This also made $255 million at the box office, Slightly bigger budget with $20 million, but still great returns. This was, again, another spectacle. I think something you're really scared about as a director is your sophomore pick. Will it live up to mm-hmm. that original one? And while it didn't at the Oscars, again, I think because it was more horror-aligned, no nominations, but throughout the award season, Lupita did win a handful of critics' prizes including Best Actress at New York Film Critics Circle, and she was nominated at SAG, too. I was rooting for her Mm -hmm. so much. It was like the Tony Collette nom for Hereditary. That actress performance is just unparalleled. Yeah. When you remember that Charlize was nominated for Bombshell, it just hurts, actually, (laughs) because Lupita Nyong'o is giving a master class here. She's playing multiple characters and when Mm -hmm. you first hear that voice from her Mm -hmm. there's nothing like it i have chills thinking about it and peel will be the first one to tell you not to compare him to hitchcock or kubrick or any of these mega names but i thought that this did have of his three movies the most like hitchcockian vibe to it it was just creepy and unsettling and i loved how the horror unfolded with these doppelgangers and when Lupita, like I said, when she starts speaking, when her double starts speaking, there's just nothing like that. Hearing that in the theater, I just remember this experience too, theatrically, because we had so much hype going into it after Get Out. You're like, can he, you know, can he do it again? What's his sophomore Mm -hmm. feature going to be like? Can he live up to Get Out? For me, it did because it was so much fun. Um, We can talk about everything coming together at the end but that was the performance of the year for me yeah she was it and 
again, we get this flip very late that makes you rethink the entire movie and makes you say, oh, my God, when am I going to see this again? Yeah. Which, again, makes you think about all of the symbols and the doubles and, you know, even the scissors being a double, the eleven mm-hmm. eleven, the verse. Again, we get another Bible verse. And I would say that this is the scariest of the three. I think Get Out is the most unsettling for me, but this is, like, terrifying. Yeah, this one's really scary. It has all these intricate layers to it that are really fun to experience and to unpack. But at the end, it feels almost weighed down by how many symbols there are, how many like shots there are that you have to decipher, like all of the gimmicks. It feels kind of like those weigh it down at the end. Um, it's not my favorite of the three, but people will probably be very surprised to learn what my favorite of the three is. And in thinking of Peel's process for making these movies, I think it's interesting that each of them has inspirations. And he talks about this all the time. You mentioned how he doesn't want to be compared to Hitchcock, but there are very much elements of his movies in all of these. But like with Get Out, we have... The Shining and Rosemary's Baby, this very politically charged horror film. With us, we have Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. And again, there are many, many, many going into these. But And then with Nope, we get Close Encounters. We have that Spielberg appeal. He talked about E.T. So it's also playing with some of these lighter fares and bringing the comedy into it and the horror and like with nope these westerns and his love for those films too yeah so the moment i've been waiting for let's talk about nope (laughs) which i really loved i think before we go through the plot and oscar potential we will give a spoiler warning we'll go into spoilers of the movie do a deeper dive try to unpack some of the symbols because there are definitely a lot of things this movie is a visual feast So I want to talk about all of those things. But before we get into all of that, what did you think of Nope? When I first saw the teaser, I knew this was going to be a great third feature. And so I went in not wanting to know anything. I didn't watch the full trailer. I don't know if there were two or three, but I definitely didn't see the last one. So I went in quite blind, which I like. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, we are initially thrown in and given this awful first shot awful and from there it's just it's a whirlwind roller coaster fun entertaining movie Mm -hmm. and that is exactly what i wanted from a july movie we have this insane heat wave right now so to just like go sit in a movie and enjoy the screen for two hours and feel that air conditioning and (laughs) have the crowd around you some of them on tiktok some of them screaming at the screen you know it's just It's what summer movies were made for. Mm -hmm. And it was something that I loved experiencing. And I really want to go again. I'm jealous you got a second viewing already. What did you love about, I guess, generally about Nope? It's kind of hard to say. I think that first I will say this movie does work even better on a second watch. I will compare it to the experience I had watching Mulholland Drive, where... The first time I was watching the movie, I was so... And I know you're not a fan of that one, like I am. But the first time that I watched that, I was just so taken by the visual beauty of it, by 
how odd it was and by trying to make sense of it that I knew I loved it. I knew that what I had seen was something that was important, but Mm -hmm. I was just left thinking a lot about it and all of its mysteries. The second time I saw it, I realized it's much more straightforward. And here, I think the first go, there are certain aspects of it that are very straightforward, but it's hard, I think, not to just get swept up in the the majesty of the movie making. It is all about images to me. And I know I've said on this show before that cinema is a visual medium. It is all about the images to me. And this went there. I love that it's his take on a UFO movie. It plays into your nostalgia. In a way, it felt like a movie that my dad would have showed me when I was a little kid that I definitely would have been too young to see, but he would have wanted to see my reaction to whatever creature from the 70s or 80s that would pop out on the screen. It reminded (laughs) me of one of those, but it also taps into our fear, our modern culture, our political climate, and there are certain lines of dialogue in the movie, certain images that felt very, very timely and hit me in such a deep way. For me, I think this is Jordan Peele's best movie, and I think that's because it feels like he constructed something that's just so big, it's so ambitious, but it doesn't feel as bogged down as Us, maybe, where he was trying to search for this idea, or even Get Out, which just sort of felt like this, I think if Nope is interrogating what a bad miracle is. Get Out is sort of a good miracle for Jordan Peele. I don't know. I just, I feel like it was such a construction of mood. And I have to tell you, last night I opened Twitter and I was just in a bad mood. All I saw on my timeline were just things about Comic-Con and Phase 5 of Marvel and all of these Mm -hmm. movies coming out and all these Disney Plus shows that I just like frankly don't care about. And I'm happy that other people have them and other people have, you know, movies and TV shows that they care about. But I feel like audiences today are really used to Marvel movies, which are just, they're very predictable. They're by the book. There's no moral ambiguity. There's no reflection on our current climate, our landscape. They feel completely void of original ideas. Good characters are good. Bad characters are bad. And if a bad character is bad, there's a reason why they're bad. There's a backstory that clearly explains all of their motivations, what went wrong to make them behave badly. And then it's made clear that they should be punished for said bad behavior. And this movie makes you think. It feels bold and original and it's fun too. It feels like a popcorn movie that isn't just stale and the same. I love that. And I feel like the response I've been seeing has been sort of frustrating. And I feel like it's partly because audiences are used to popcorn movies being easy. And this is a popcorn movie that's not so easy. That's what I want from my movies. That's what I want from my summer movies. And I don't think that's too much to ask for. But I thank Jordan Peele for giving that to me this summer. Thinking back to when the original poster came out months, maybe a year ago, I have no idea at this point, but seeing that cloud and the trail of the flags hanging out of it, I was like, like what? Mm -hmm. And when you first see that in the movie, I was like, oh my God, Mm -hmm. yes. Like so many light bulbs going off. That's what I love. I love the originality. That is what I come for these movies too as well. And... I'm glad we don't get many Mm -mm. every year. We get a few and I wait for those few and I latch onto them. And this is, I think, the first one we got this summer. Yeah. And I'm so used to my movies that make me think being 
your art house indies. They're not the big mm-hmm. movies. The big movies are just things you go turn your brain off for. So I like that this is a movie that makes you turn on your brain. It's fun. Exactly. <laughs> so brief description here. We have two siblings, O.J. Haywood Jr. and Emerald or M. Haywood. They run a California horse ranch and discover something wonderful and sinister in the skies above. While the owner of an adjacent theme park tries to profit from the mysterious otherworldly phenomenon. This, of course, was directed by Jordan Peele. Stars Kiki Palmer, Daniel Kaluuya, Steven Yeun, and Brandon Perea. It has a great cast. There are also some other very famous people who make cameos or have mm-hmm. briefer roles that we can get into and why the casting is important later on. Um, but I think let's talk about Oscar potential and just the technical elements before we get into a deep dive on all the things to unpack from the movie. So I'll ask you, I feel like you always have a good read on this. Do you think this movie has Oscar potential? Oh boy. I really want to say yes. I really do. I know. (laughs) And I don't really think it does. It hurts so much. Because it's a movie about Hollywood. And it is so smart in how it does that. It's about filmmaking. It's about capturing that perfect shot. And the cinematography especially. Mm -hmm. We have incredible DP Hoyte Van Hoytema who we mentioned here on the pod before he's worked on Nolan's last few features including the upcoming Oppenheimer also her and Ad Astra I loved the meta aspect of the cinematographer in this movie and how he is trying to capture these impossible shots with nature and using that experience his filmography to capture this thing but I love the camera work here I think it does a really good job of creeping the audience out getting Mm -hmm. us into that horror space but also becoming so many other things and using this valley as the set reminded me of the power of the dog (laughs) Mm -hmm. and navigating this house that reminded me of Psycho of the Bates house oh you and I are on the same page with that one That was one of the visual references I thought of, too, when I was watching it that I liked. Oh, there's just so many, so many throughout that I loved. And the way he will forever change how I think of those balloon people. I'll always think of this movie. (laughs) The way you can use an object and make it your own is incredible. And he is doing that so well here. Other categories, I wish it could get in in visual effects. Again, no spoilers, but my jaw was on the floor. I just don't know if it's enough for a nomination. That's that's the problem. I think the effects are amazing compared to maybe some other noms we get, but it's edging into that horror realm. And I mean, Get Out did really, really well. But do I think this is going to be up for picture, director, screenplay as well? No, I don't. Do you have other categories maybe you think you could see it getting in or do you think it has potential oh it pains me to say it but not broadly I think because we've seen how the academy responds to genre respond to sci-fi respond to horror specifically they reject it and go for really dull movies honestly sometimes like biopics and dramas that don't matter with get out 
those nominations, I think, were in part to it being just such a phenomenon at the time. And three of those nominations, picture, director, and screenplay, really embraced Jordan Peele. It wasn't getting into text. But this movie, I do think, is his greatest technical achievement, bar none. Like, this movie Mm -hmm. is a spectacle. It's him working on such a grand scale and it's just it's massive it feels so expansive and I was just very moved by it just visually by the end and I I think while I'm going to say that you know no I nope (laughs) I don't think it's going to you know have great traction with the academy for Mm -hmm. me this movie should get a best picture nomination I think that I I can't see 10 other movies being better than this one for me this year and I love what Jordan Peele is saying with this movie and I think technically speaking what Hoyt Van Hoytema does here with the cinematography is just breathtaking these shots are Mm -hmm. beautiful and like I said earlier they make you think of these older westerns that we have these grand sci-fi epics but it also feels like a brand new creation all its own and i love how he captures that with those imax cameras i think that the soundscape is just beautiful i think that this movie should definitely be nominated for best sound and same with visual effects i also think that the creature design in this movie is gorgeous it's unlike anything i've ever seen before it feels so creative and just brand new and it's terrifying but at the end when you see what the creature itself looks like i'll just call it a creature jean jacket it takes your breath away it's beautiful Mm -hmm. absolutely it's like nothing i could have expected i'm gonna wait to talk about it until we get into our spoiler section but i absolutely love that the sound amazing that with the visuals, we have all these like little sand tornadoes and mm-hmm. dust clouds and working with the distance and these different venues. We have the Steven Yeun venue, the Star Lasso experience, that amphitheater and the stables and the house again. The score is also something I absolutely loved because it comes and goes and gives you, again, all those different genres and movies don't do that a lot. Scores are there to set the mood, and here it's constantly changing, which is making you feel even more unsettled. The score by Michael Abels is one of my favorite things from the movie. He also did the scores for Get Out and for Us, but here I think you're right. It really establishes the mood. It also really honors those older westerns that Peele feels indebted to, I think, throughout the movie so I really love the score and that would be another nomination I would consider it for and then performance wise I think everyone is doing great work here I loved newcomer Brandon Perea guest starring Barbie Ferreira as well at this electronics store and the way that he comes in and works with OJ and M on the ranch is so fun and we are kind of his character scared shitless Wondering what is happening. Mm-hmm. The sound that they hear over... Again, the sound. Oh my god, yeah. <laughs> From over the house is a huge moment. And the echoes, the cries that we hear overhead in the sky. Oof. I loved Kiki. I think Daniel was 
in such a unique mind space, like thinking of him in Judas and the Black Messiah and Get Out and seeing what he's doing here is more muted, but there's a control that makes you think about like why he's playing it this way. Mm-hmm. And I loved that. He's this traumatized son and then working with his sister. I loved Kiki so much. I think this is her movie. She had so much fun the entire time. And as the movie was going on, I kept wondering what she was going to do, how we were going to see her. I knew from that teaser trailer, there was a moment I was waiting for and I got more and more scared for as it kept not happening. And I was like, yes. oh, <laughs> but I loved everything, everything she did. Yeah, I think this movie has such a great cast. Their dad is played by Keith David Williams, and he's an actor who has been in a lot of horror movies, including The Thing and They Live. And for someone like Jordan Peele to put him in the very beginning of the movie, you sort of know right away if you recognize him that like what type of movie this is going to be. I think all of the actors do a really good job. I agree with you about Daniel Kaluuya. He's so subdued, and it's been strange, I think, seeing that people don't really think he's doing anything here because sure I think that's fair if you were comparing him to Judas and the Black Messiah or Get Out even but here like you said he's reacting to an event that occurs early in the movie he becomes detached he becomes more introverted and I think it just further emphasizes the difference between the siblings and what their dynamic is Kiki Palmer, Emerald, she's such an extrovert. She's the performer of the family. And that type of performance, you're going to notice like more readily. I completely agree with you. This is her movie. She is fun to watch in every single frame. She seems like she's having so much fun with this character. And in this movie, it feels perfect for her. And I'm so glad that she's in this film. I hope she's in another Jordan Peele movie. Um, she's also just like, She's such a likable celebrity Mm -hmm. figure. Like, I just love her. Before my screening, they played the I'm sorry to this man Vanity Fair (laughs) (laughs) interview with her. But back to Daniel Kaluuya for a minute. I think what's, what's unique here, actually, is that it feels like a particular interpretation of a performer that we get in Westerns, which Peel is clearly referencing. Uh, Much more cerebral, but very still. I've even criticized Gary Cooper as being very vanilla. But if you think about, you know, performers like Gary Cooper, John Wayne, people who are in these Westerns from a long time ago, they're performing similarly. They're not saying much. They're stoic. They're not inclined to show emotion. And I think that is what Daniel Kaluuya is doing here. I think he's channeling those earlier Westerns. And in the movie, we do see a poster for Buck and the Preacher, which is this black Western, which was directed by Sidney Poitier. It's a throwback film. And in that movie, Buck doesn't show a lot of emotion. So I took that to be another reference to why Kaluuya was performing this way and why this character was this way. He doesn't feel necessarily at home in a sci-fi film. He feels at home in a Western. Why do you think he doesn't have an iPhone? He has a flip phone. He's not as engaged in the modern world, in modern technology. He feels much more like a retro character. So he's going to act more like those characters from previous films as opposed to Kiki Palmer, who feels very much like a 
modern, that type of like modern performer who has a ton of charisma. And I like the juxtaposition mm-hmm. between the two. Talking about that ode to Buck and the Preacher, I love all of the Easter eggs in this mm-hmm. movie, but specifically to black cinema and black actors in Hollywood. The movie revolves around the fact that OJ and M's great great grandfather was the jockey who rode the horse in the first ever stills made into a seconds long, but still a motion picture, mm-hmm. a piece of film. And so with that history, you know, and talking about Poitier and Duel at Diablo and these other old Westerns and the history that kind of gets erased when you think of movies, you don't think of these. These aren't spoken about like other Westerns are, like Clint Eastwood Mm -hmm. or John Wayne, but they came before. And Peel making comments about these, showing reference to them in Jupe's office, I think is... Well, even that alone, you know, he's making these silent nods to them is just so cheeky. And I love when Peel does things like that. And he does so many here in Nope. He does. I think that's a perfect transition into like diving a bit deeper into spoilers. Speaking of performances, I love Steven Yun in this movie. I feel like he is the perfect actor for (laughs) this part for Jupe. We talked about Burning a few episodes ago, the 2018 <laughs> Lee Chang Dong film, which I love. And Steven Yun in that film gave a performance that was maybe my favorite of the entire year. I thought about him and I thought about his character for months after seeing it. And I feel like as an actor, he's best utilized when we see that beautiful face playing someone who's just a little bit off who we really can't trust, who has something sort of sinister behind the eyes. With this character, I think he completely nails it. So you teased how scary the beginning was. Let's talk about Mm -hmm. that, how this movie opens. Woof. Yeah, so we have those opening credits, the production company's coming, but you're hearing the laughter from this TV set these like really cheesy jokes and then the first image we get is of this chimp and you realize his mouth is bloody his hands are bloody and he's wearing this birthday cap and there's this lampshade rolling in front of him he throws off the birthday cap and looks straight at the camera cut to black and you're like who is he looking at what is happening who who is this lady who's lying behind the couch seemingly dead who's in the background did he get into the stands in the audience Mm -hmm. and the applause lights are still going it's just a sensory overload and that's sort of the prequel to the story that we learn about later that is part of steven yoon's character and we realize the camera is him in that moment in a sense not fully which is really really important to this character and why it matters Mm -hmm. but that is something this whole Gordy plotline is something I had trouble with for a little bit and it's funny because just two hours ago Jordan Peele tweeted the opening sequence for Gordy's home I saw that and I haven't watched it yet (laughs) wild his easter eggs are just out of this world so what did you think of Gordy of this moment of starting the movie this way and how it relates to everything well 
starting the movie this way really throws you in and lets you know that this is going to be a horror film in some way. I think you kind of wonder, like, is this a red herring? What is the purpose of this? Especially because if you're like me and you do watch movie trailers, Gordy isn't very familiar to you. I very much was thinking, like, this is going to be more of a story that is about aliens or is about UFOs and takes place mostly with Kiki Palmer and Daniel Kaluuya's characters. So when you get this opening, which is just this very unsettling way to establish tone and to also let you know that there are some creatures that cannot be tamed. Like, that's a pretty smart way to start the movie. And the Steven Yeun character, Randy Park, is my favorite subplot, I think, in a movie I've seen in a long time. I just, like, cannot stop thinking about it. And I really just have so much to say. But I really could talk about this character for hours. But, yeah, I thought this was a really clever way to open the movie and it definitely felt like something that Jordan Peele had maybe like seen in his dreams. And I feel like some of the images that we get that really stood out to me, obviously the chimp with the blood like all over him is so frightening wearing the birthday hat. But the flashing applause sign in the background, mm-hmm. that definitely stood out to me. Right, It makes you think about, about laughter and about cheering for things and if that is real like what sorts of emotions or what sort of reception do you get from other people and how credible is that is it something another person is like telling you to do or is it actually your natural response to something and that theme i think comes up again and again in the movie but also just that shoe that's standing up oh yeah which i think this movie has a lot of images and things that are happening where I just have to chalk it up to unexplainable phenomena. Things that occur in this film, but things that could also occur in our everyday world, which we just don't have an explanation for. Maybe we'll never get an explanation for them. And those are things that we have to be okay with. And Mm -hmm. Steven Yeun's character, who we later learn, is connected to this opening, very brief sequence. He keeps that shoe. And you have to wonder, like, why does he keep that specific piece of memorabilia? Is it something that he just can't explain? Is that why he keeps it? Yes, yeah, so there's there's definitely a lot to get into there. But then, after this section, we are introduced to Daniel Kaluuya's character. He plays a character named O.J. Haywood Jr. Um, we see him and his dad, and all of a sudden, things start falling from the sky and OJ Haywood Sr. is dead because a nickel from the sky goes just flat through his eye into his brain. And that intro, I think, to Daniel Kaluuya's character and to where we are is pretty interesting and also just unsettling. And that nickel at that point we didn't know what was falling or what mm-hmm. else was falling. Eventually, we see the key in the horse's back leg. But when I saw the nickel, I was like, is this going to be a commentary on capitalism? Yeah. <laughs> like, what? And then he has the baggie with the nickel pinned to his wall. Mm-hmm. as like this memory, this picture almost, mm-hmm. which is wild. But I think in a way, it is about capitalism and this spectacle and how we function in humanity, a story that 
Peel told was like bottlenecking on a highway when you see an accident and everybody is looking and slowing down. He's like, I want to use that. I want to make a movie out of that. And that's definitely an image that this brings about because it's like everyone wants to look, but it might kill you. Yeah. And I think when we keep seeing that shot of the nickel in that plastic bag, one, it's our first instance of a greater theme that runs through the movie of what happens to you when you look at something that you maybe shouldn't and how important eyes are in the movie because the nickel goes right through Mm -hmm. his eye. And for OJ, if this nickel is what killed his dad, why is he keeping it? That's just so scary Mm. and so weird. And it goes into that theme further of why do we watch horror movies? I think Peel is also commenting on that. Why do we watch things that we're afraid of? Why do characters in horror movies look behind the door instead of leaving the house altogether? You know, you always think of that. Like if you're watching something like The Conjuring or anything, it's like, why doesn't this family just move away? Why do they have to look and see what's there? And it's because if you look, then you can be safe ultimately. Like if you know the answer, maybe Mm -hmm. you can be safe. But then there's also this horrifying fixation that we just have to know. Ugh, it's really dark and weird, but the Gordy plotline and Steven Yeun's character, Jupe, further allow that to unfold and expand, which I really like. Yeah, I think there's a fine line there, and he does such a good job of melding these storylines, but also in explaining and understanding the duality that humans face all the time and in imagery and in human nature that's ultimately what his films are about and i think turning that camera internally and making us think about ourselves is also what's so scary about these movies Mm -hmm. so i think just generally what happens like after we get the opening with gordy and then with oj haywood his death we then see daniel kaluuya he's on a movie set with a horse he is an animal wrangler he's a horse trainer and we find out that this story at its core is about this pair of brother sister horse trainers and they own haywood hollywood horses and we get this distillation of these two characters right away when they're on this set emerald kiki's character is running late and oj he can't really seem to run the business himself he doesn't really seem like a leader who's able to clearly articulate what's going on and how um, their business works and when emerald finally arrives she just goes into the into this spiel about who they are what their company is and that's when we find out and she notes about the edward moybridge story about how he was this person who photographed this Bahamian jockey riding on this horse, the first movie. And what she says there is that everyone remembers the name Edward Moybridge, but does anyone know the name of the jockey and that the jockey is their three times great grandfather? So it's interesting there because I think Peel is like commenting on racial inequities that take place in Hollywood history. But he's also letting us know that 
these two characters, what they see is their, their stake in the game, why they're here and why we should pay attention to them as characters, even though nobody else really does. But it also, I think, shows why they would feel the need to document something and to be remembered and why being the person behind the camera is a way for them to be remembered instead of being the person in front of the camera. Yeah, and we continually get the image of the jockey on the horse. Mm -hmm. It keeps running on a loop, and during the title sequence, we get that framed by this very odd square Mm -hmm. that starts to zoom in, and we get closer and closer to this video, and it only becomes apparent later that the square is the eye of this alien, this creature. And so the fact that this is framing the jockey, I think, is telling as well. It's a Mm -hmm. great metaphor for looking at this spectacle, this history, looking back at something that many people don't see. You know, nobody is looking at it. So thinking about its survival in that way is really interesting. But I think these three scenes setting up the movie does so much background that we don't really understand at first we have the chimp this extraterrestrial event we have the Mm -hmm. shoe there that could be real maybe it's in his mind maybe not we have metal falling from the sky and then we have the horse the set the horse seeing itself and Mm -hmm. freaking out just like the chimp did when it hears the balloon pop so that's our connection first off But these three things will go on and explain why the alien acts why it does, why Jupe's character thinks he's above all the rest, thinks he's special and Mm -hmm. can tame this beast. And then with the metal kind of using once OJ understands what it is and that it's not a ship, it's a being and it's hungry, faking it, you know, feeding it this plastic horse, getting it angry understanding that you can't look it in the eye like Mm -hmm. the horse like his horse which is why he understands it so well is why they save themselves in the end and they can trick it so it opens with this line i will pelt you with filth treat you with contempt and make you a spectacle and that is not only telling us what this creature what this alien is going to do to anything that looks at it But it's also a metaphor and commentary on how Hollywood treats people and how these people are pelted with filth, treated with contempt, and made into a spectacle for people to watch. You can think about, like, anyone who's gone into Hollywood, specifically, like, people who have had really terrible experiences. um, This is exactly how they're treated. And this movie, I think, ultimately is such a strong strong commentary on spectacle on what people will watch and how the hunt for that and to be a part of that is just all encompassing all engrossing and when oj and emeralds realize what they have at the ranch where they live that this saucer is out there instead of running instead of going somewhere else They decide they need to document it in order to leave their mark on cinema, on history, right? In order to be remembered, 
they need to get the Oprah shot, as they say. They need to get one perfect shot of this thing. That's what they want to do, not run from it like we think we would do if we were in a similar situation. They need to capture it. Mm -hmm. I mean, they want to do both things, but they even just to survive, they're out of money. Yeah. They're not performing like his dad did. I mean, they get kicked off the set in the beginning. So Mm -hmm. it's part of like, we need this to save the ranch. And he is maybe thinking of selling it to Jupe, but Mm -hmm. M does not want to. She wants to hold that where her family's lived since before she was born. So to her, she has more quote unquote skin in the game Mm -hmm. and she fights and he comes on to that. He joins her and from there the the fun tidbits of trying to capture it we get the praying mantis and then enlisting the help of the cinematographer i love who that is <laughs> so quirky yeah mm-hmm. before we get to antlers holst which is a great movie name <laughs> do we want to talk about jupe and gordy and try to like make sense of all of that yeah because he is their business rival essentially but also their neighbor he and his show this spectacle that he has on his own or of his own is just little ways away and we go meet him in his office we find out that he's this former actor there are all sorts of like posters that are up for a family reality show and there's all of this memorabilia around. And OJ is just sort of trying to have a conversation with him about their horses, about business. And Emerald is just sort of in awe of all of this stuff that's in his office. And we see this mad magazine cover with Gordy the chimp on it. And we realize that he is this former child actor who survived Gordy's rage during that skit. Yeah, and him talking about the SNL skit that he says, like, did such a good job of recreating that. And then he opens the wall and we're like, oh, okay. There's this room of memorabilia just for this moment. So he has capitalized on him being the star from this really exciting moment from traumatic TV history. And he even says when they go into the room, he's like, oh, I usually charge for this. Mm-hmm. So he is making money off of his successes and his fame. Again, another reference to what this movie is doing. And in the room, he has that shoe standing up. And mm-hmm. even there, it seems a little odd. Why is this here? Why is it standing up again in the same place that it was? And my favorite reference from this whole room was the Kid Sheriff poster, which was modeled after the Holes poster uh, I from love the early that. 2000s. <laughs> Not only of them not saying holes on it, which is like the hole in the sky, but them looking into this well, which again is ultimately how we get this final shot of them looking down and us looking up. I love that play of angles when we're either in the well or looking down into it. And the trick that comes early when M photobombs with these other people and we don't know what is happening either, but that obviously comes back in a very, very big way. Right. And I think what I loved about the jupe section is just how clearly he is profiting off of this supposedly traumatic event that he experienced as a kid. And the reality show in itself, that poster, 
was enough for me to realize, okay, this is Jordan Peele commenting on, you know, how people make money today, but also what Mm -hmm. reality is, what's real and what isn't, and how the term reality today, which actually comes up later in a discussion with the cinematographer and M, is that the word reality today has become synonymous with reality TV, which is notoriously (laughs) manufactured, falsified, created by producers, not actually real. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So everything that you see there that tells you this guy is willing to just milk this story for anything, for any bit of money, for any bit of attention. And he's been able to make an entire living, get new TV shows, get new deals based on this one event that happened to him, this one thing that people always think about. And he doesn't in that moment tell us about what happened to him as a kid. He tells us what happened on an SNL sketch, which is interesting in itself. He's not telling them the story of what he remembers. He's telling them what he remembers from SNL because he wants them to know that it's important enough to capture on SNL. And you get just so many wonderful moments with his performance, I think. When we get the flashback of the chapter titled Gordy, and we realize that it is a flashback, when it cuts to Jupe's face, he doesn't look horrified. He almost looks like he's disassociated completely. He has this glazed over look in his eyes, and he's almost smiling, which is so, so unsettling (laughs) that that's how he... He doesn't so much as remember the trauma of the event. He's almost grateful that he can now use it to his advantage. That he was the one who was able to somewhat tame this animal, even though, is that really what happened? What would have happened if Gordy wasn't killed? We don't know. And the really important part here is that when he makes eye contact with Gordy, his face is covered by this tablecloth. And when Gordy approaches him, It's never eye to eye, it's through the table, this glass table and the tablecloth. So that is ultimately what saves him and not that he is special in some way. Right. But when they're getting that fist bump and they like barely touch and then they shoot Gordy. The other thing is when you first see him under the table, he has blood on his face and you don't know from what. You assume that it's from everything else happening, but Mm -hmm. now we learn that it was Gordy's blood on him, which makes Mm -hmm. this all the more horrifying. Yeah. And I I love that that fist bump, the shot we get of them reaching out to each other. It's a little um, God and man. I love how he plays with images like that. And I guess, what did you interpret from Jupe's show that he has with the horse that he has in this box, with the crowd there, and with jean jacket or this alien like Mm -hmm. creature that we have do you think that he has some sort of relationship with this creature that's worked somewhat in the past and just didn't work out this time or do you think he'd kind of falsified a spectacle and then the real thing came and took them all out the only thing that didn't make sense is why the co-star was at this specific show Mm -hmm. if he had been doing this for six months because that's how long he's known about Jean Jacket is since the dad died, since it showed up and started staying in this cloud that didn't move. 
So he knew about it and he was buying the horses to use them and all the other horses would look up at Jean Jacket and that's why they were taken. But having the co-star with that mauled face and the silk covering her face from her hat was just terrifying. But like that connection of why she was there on this specific day was a little confusing to me. Regardless, you know, he was profiting again off of having this connection with a creature and it wasn't a sold out show. People came with their families probably to this amusement park of sorts. And, you know, he's like, in an hour, it'll be here. So he knew how this functioned. He knew its habits. But again, it wasn't what he thought it was. And OJ did. And the fact that Lucky, this horse, was the one that didn't look up is why ultimately the whole crowd was eaten instead. That everybody was looking at what it shouldn't be and Mm -hmm. they were all devoured in this horrifying sequence where we finally see inside jean jacket and like basically the esophagus of what was happening of these people moving up well first i loved jupe's costume here on the back of his red jacket Mm. how we have the image of what looks like your kind of standard saucer ufo but that's jean jacket. I loved that. Seeing everyone get sucked up into that and them screaming the sounds, how claustrophobic it was. That was so scary. That was yeah. when I was like, this is really horrifying and fun. <laughs> and then later on, after that, when all the people are gone and M and Angel are in the house and um, OJ is out in the truck and mm-hmm. jean jacket is back. Let me tell you, if you have a set piece that has blood raining down on it, like this house, I am in. (laughs) That was so cool. I loved that. It was so disgusting. Hearing all the people scream and just hearing all those things fall out and seeing the blood drip down from the window that this thing was basically just throwing up. It's almost like it ate too much. (laughs) It was Mm -hmm. used to having that many people. So used to just having one horse at a time and decided to spit up all of that blood all over the house. Yeah. I mean, that's the image that sticks in my mind is, again, this Bates house with Mm -hmm. blood smeared down the sides of it, which is just an amazing feat of cinema, too. Ugh, it was so gross. Going back to what you said, too, about Jupe's co-star, who was mauled by Gordy, it, again, makes you think, like, why would she go to this if you were mauled? By a chimp, why are you here as part of this spectacle to like be remembered as part of this thing? Again, it's Peel's commentary on Hollywood, on that type of like seeing something you shouldn't see, taking part in something mm-hmm. you shouldn't be a part of. That really scared me. And of course, you mentioned the tablecloth covering Jupe's eyes when he was a little kid. Mm. And we get that cloth over her face. What we think, right, is to, like, disguise her face from all these people so they can't see that she was mauled. She has that t-shirt on with her face on it when she was a child star, which was so (laughs) chilling to me. But then, of course, when Jean Jacket goes overhead and you see that blow up in the air so her eyes are exposed. Mm. Wow. So smart. So I love the third act of this movie, how they're just determined to get this money shot of Jean Jacket. 
they're so determined to capture the shot that they hire the cinematographer who we talked about. And I love how Peel plays with old and new Hollywood here because these new cameras can't capture Jean mm-hmm. Jacket because Jean Jacket cuts out all the power. So they have to like use old Hollywood techniques here. He has to use the camera with the film and the crank in order to actually get this money shot. I really like how he put that in there too. Yeah, once this final act starts, I was strapped in. I'm like, let's do this. I'm ready. Mm-hmm. They set up all the balloon people around and they can maneuver everything electronically. I loved the manual crank, the mm-hmm. camera, M being like, I knew he could do it. I knew he would. And so you're just rooting for them mm-hmm. as a team. And I love that they use Monopoly pieces. And I don't know how they had time to put the names on each of the walkie talkies. But it's fun to play and it becomes this like game of cat and mouse, which again, it shifts into something new. So as we're trying to find him, you know, the TMZ man comes in and tries Mm -hmm. to spoil everything. Again, literally what TMZ stands for. You know, they're capturing Mm -hmm. the spectacle. They're getting that quote-unquote money shot to expose the reality of what's happening. Another quick thing that was fun about the TMZ guy, if you look at the cast and the credits, that character's name is Ryder Moybridge. That's a direct connection to Edward Moybridge who captured the black man riding on the horse that we get in the beginning of the movie. So we can think like TMZ is like a modern day version of that. And they have to stop him. They have to get the credit. Another Moybridge isn't going to get the credit for this shot. They are going to get the credit this time. Mm -hmm. Oh, another fun thing with names that I forgot to mention. I love that Kiki Palmer's name is Emerald or M because it made me think of The Wizard of Oz, which is a great movie about spectacle and reality, the Emerald City and Auntie M. I love every single name has a reference. Yeah. We haven't mentioned OJ, but that's pretty obvious. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the craze that that held over society and incredible documentary that came a few years ago about all of that and basically what Peel is reiterating here. So then after this chase, you know, we start to see more and more of this alien. It's trying to capture OJ and the other part of the team. They're trying to distract it, but we see more and more. And as he's starting to fool it, it's in the background in the sky and it starts to morph. And I'm like, wait, that's a new, I haven't seen that before. And it starts to get bigger and change. And it's like it has bones now or cartilage and... It's becoming like this sea creature almost. And what it eventually turns into is this like papery thing floating in the sky. And it's humongous. And it is so delicately designed. And the eye that comes out and it's like really trying to get him to look at it. You know, it starts to like flap its wings like a peacock almost. The elements that go into this, for what I referenced earlier with the visual effects, my jaw... I just couldn't believe what I was seeing. This is a new image. I was totally awestruck and I loved every second of it. I wanted to see more of it. And it's funny that we can't stop looking and they don't see it. It was beautiful. Yes, it's so crazy because when I saw it the second time, I was so excited for the third act again because I wanted to see that. I wanted to see what that looked like again. And 
Jordan Peele knows that and he plays with our expectations and he plays with the fact that he knows he's created something beautiful that we won't be able to look away from. And the ending of this movie feels like one of those classic Westerns, but with images that we've never seen before and we can't look away from. And it's honestly very moving, you know, to to start Mm -hmm. the movie with their great, great, great grandfather on this horse and to end the movie with his great, great, great granddaughter, Emerald, on a motorbike, right? She's the future. Mm -hmm. She's the one who ends up having to go get the image herself as the descendant who's able to do it and be able to like make a name for herself ideally from this is just, it was very moving to see and just with the score going and all of the visual effects and that cinematography, I was, I was like teary eyed and beaming just because of how big it is. And again, we get this parallel of getting the shot and disposing of the creature. Mm -hmm. Like with Gordy, we got the shot, the fist bump, he was killed here we get the shot from the well and then it engulfs this like big boy balloon yeah and it explodes and i do like how balloons and like things inflated with air come into play throughout the movie because like Mm -hmm. the balloons popping at the beginning that's what sets gordy off like that's the noise he can't handle um the you know the inflatable battery operated Mm -hmm. (laughs) things with the eyes that they set up for i always just think of like those things being outside of the verizon store it's like what i've always called them the verizon (laughs) store men um those things and then later that giant inflatable that goes up into the sky that ultimately is what kills it it's great and i do love that she has to capture this image with a crank like basically with this giant polaroid camera because all of the other footage they can't use anymore because everything was destroyed so i like that she's the one who has to go and do that and i love 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 the shot of daniel oj on the horse at the end in the distance Mm -hmm. very reminiscent of old westerns and i don't even think we necessarily needed him to survive but it ends on a hopeful note and this family staying united which brings me back to get out which i forgot to mention but i didn't know this had an alternate ending Originally, it was going to be Chris being found on top of the girlfriend and the cops come Mm -hmm. and they take him away to jail for murdering his girlfriend. You know, it's a much more timely political comment on what is happening and what has happened with the criminal system. But the way we get the friend coming and saving him mirrors this and it's something that I think the Academy can digest pretty easily and something that makes it easier for audiences to accept too. Yeah, I remember the first time I saw Get Out when she's like, help, when we hear the police car in the distance. I was like, oh no, I know exactly what's going to happen here. Like they're going to believe her. But I need that lift at the end. Like I I would completely understand if they did choose to end it that way. But yeah, I, I like having the little bit of lift there just like I did here. Yeah, I love the ending. I thought it was great. So if you could give this movie one Oscar, what would you give it? Oh, it's so hard because there are quite a few (laughs) things I would give it, but I think I would say best sound. The sound here was just so expansive and I will will never forget the sound of the people screaming above the house. Mm -hmm. It feels right to give it to a technical below the line element for this Mm -hmm. movie. So I think I would say best sound, but there are a lot of other options for sure. What about you? We got a question from Kellen Abner 
asking what can we do to get Kiki her Oscar nom and I am going to give it to Kiki Palmer because she is the star. I'm going to go back and be cheering her on the entire time. Like I Mm -hmm. loved her so much. I loved her press tour for this movie. It's just incredible what she's doing. Like Angela Bassett impressions. Like, oh, she's having so much fun again. I just loved the performance so much. It's not something we get like full throttle the entire time from anybody. And yeah. I think she should, in an ideal world, she could be up for supporting actress, but we're going to give it to her here yes. to make sure it happens. I love that. That's great. <laughs> Especially because just when I look at the lists of predictions that people are coming up with right now, and even ours on our episode, honestly, a month ago, they're just boring. <laughs> How about Kiki Palmer for playing an original character? Yeah. Let's get some variety here. So we did get a fun question from Restless Mao. <laughs> they said fun time fmk kaluya yun paria i think sticking oh with God. what we usually do i'll Oof. say their characters maybe not so much the men themselves <laughs> so we can do angel jupe and oj oh uh, i was gonna say can we just like smash them all and not have to kill anybody i think that's fine i think if we're if it's the (laughs) actors these are all smash overpass for sure easily (laughs) character wise hmm. steven yun i've truly been addicted to since the walking dead so that is a that's a smash but character wise i would say pass wait who got yun on our hot man draft me okay i got him i mean character wise i would have to kill him I mean, he has a wife, but I feel like he's way more into his person, his character, which is, no, it's not going to happen. I mean, it's pretty easy, I guess, for the other two. I would have to marry OJ and Shag Angel. Their characters are pretty easily aligned Mm -hmm. with those. I would also, if you marry OJ, I would love to restore that big old house. That feels like a good project for me. (laughs) (laughs) just such a nice like beautiful antique Mm -hmm. craftsman house that reminded me of days of heaven too so i would love to have the house even if it had blood all over it we could you know work with that redo it yeah angel's character he just needs to grow up a little bit maybe he has (laughs) after this movie but he's cute i'm gonna need somebody who doesn't work part-time at an electronics store his apartment was a site remember right the la apartment Mm -hmm. yeah well, that was our deep dive on Nope and like brief discussion on Jordan Peele and his earlier movies, Get Out and Us. Please support original stories in theaters right now. And it is an incredible one. If you can see it in IMAX, see it in IMAX. That is definitely the preferred format mm-hmm. for this one. Not only hearing about the stories of Hoitimo rigging the IMAX camera so mm-hmm. he could film on foot is incredible but yeah the images the cinematography they're stunning it's great in IMAX and I think the sound goes along with that it's a perfect summer movie it's a perfect movie for seeing in a theater and that's what Peel intended Mm -hmm. you know you thought about restoring this movie going experience just like Spielberg did with Jaws years ago so I think he succeeded, and I really, really enjoyed this. I recommend it to everybody. My mom said we were going to see Nope, 
And then I heard it was a horror movie. And I was like, it's horror, but not really. It's not Mm -hmm. that scary. It's just the elements of it are there. But it's not horror. So I think it is for more people than maybe they think. Like, it's it's a lot of things. I agree. I think it's for anyone, really. Just go into it with an open mind and... Just embrace those images you're getting. I mean, it's just, it's a beautiful movie and it has a lot to say. There are so many big ideas in it and I'm always going to champion movies like that and Mm -hmm. recommend them to people. And next time on Oscar Wilde, we will have a special guest, our returning friend, Ryan Lamb, man of the people, will be back to talk about the summer box office. We'll be going through a lot of summer releases that we saw, including Elvis, Thor, Love and Thunder, Where the Crawdads Sing, Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris, Top Gun Maverick. If you have seen any of these movies, we'll be talking about all of them, going through just what we thought, what we think the summer box office means. I think we've seen some great numbers coming through. And maybe some not-so-great numbers, like what happened with Lightyear. I'm excited to hear what Ryan thinks about that one in particular. But yeah, I'm excited to have him back and to go through like what all of this means before we head into the mm-hmm. fall. Yeah, looking at all the summer movies. Also, Marcel the Shell with oh, Shoes yes. On, mm-hmm. The Black Phone, The Bob's Burgers movie, maybe The Best Animated Feature Race. <laughs> Other ones we got streaming, you know, Cha-Cha Real Smooth, Good Luck to You, Leo Grand. There have been so many movies, but also so many to come. I looked up at August and I was like, wow, we're going to have to do an August episode, Mm -hmm. September episode. There's a lot more coming, but as summer comes to a close and predictions start to go crazy, I think it'll be nice to at least talk about what we've had so far and to talk about blockbusters, how things have been doing, the state of the box office. And you have to see Elvis. I will finally see Elvis. Yes, you are correct. (laughs) That will happen sometime. (laughs) I'm so excited for your reaction. I just can't wait. (laughs) And if you like our show, please feel free to rate, review, and subscribe. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Oscar Wilde Pod. Thank you all for listening, and we will see you very soon. Thanks, everyone. See you next time. (laughs) 